Um, in this morning's passage, we're going to see how a special visit, a really special visit, led to how three different individuals um, responded with uh, the spirit, a spirit-filled joy. Um, if I'm sure, I usually have a difficult time remembering things, but I do remember um, when my wife told me that she was pregnant. And I'm sure you ladies know exactly when you guys found out, when you guys, when you ladies were found out you were pregnant. And, and uh, so maybe this story will kind of you'll be able to relate to, um, especially when you began sharing that news with others. Um, and so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. The major theme here that should stick out to all of us as we go through this section is the word joy. A spirit-filled joy. Now, again, this passage hopefully will show us, show all of you, what it looks like, what's, what a spirit-filled joy looks like. Also, I hope that it shows you the joy of life, the joy of having a baby, the joy of being blessed, and the joy of trusting in God's infinite, infinite plan. Um, a lot of times we don't know what it is. We don't know what God is doing, and it, it can lead to some anxiousness. It can um, maybe lead us to get frustrated, but when we completely yield to God's plan, when we completely yield to the Lord, we're basically saying, Lord, I trust you. I completely trust you because you know what's best. And so um, we're going to be seeing that too, how, um, how Mary responded to when she trusted in God's infinite wise plan. So before we get into the word, let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do. We thank you for being here. We thank you for um, just another week to open up your word and, and, and to hear from you, Lord. We glorify you this morning. We glorify you with our time, with our minds, with our hearts, Lord. Thank you for allowing everyone to get here safe. Um, and so now that we're here, Lord, pour your spirit here and just open the floodgates, Lord, of your love, your compassion, of your wisdom, your mercy, Lord. May we see you and hear from you in these passages. Lord, we know you're going to do a great and amazing and a beautiful thing in our lives. And you have done it and you're going to continue to do it, Lord. So we just ask that you bless us now as we open up your mighty word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, last week I left off on in verse 20, 38. And we're going to continue now in Luke chapter 1, be in verse 39. That's where we're going to start off. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. The Word of God says, In those days Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside of her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She then exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, 
and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill that he has spoken to her. Now, now that Mary knew that she was going to be a mom and was really willing and, and, and open to serve, what she did next shouldn't really come to a surprise to any of us. Now, we're not exactly told why she set out in a hurry to see her relative Elizabeth. But here are a few possible suggestions. It may have been to avoid the scandal that would have occurred in Nazareth when her condition became known. Now, as I mentioned the last time, I was, last time we were here, that many scholars believe that Mary would have been a young teenager at this time, um, possibly 15, 16 years old. They married really young there. It wasn't scandalous at the time. There wasn't an age restriction. The age laws that we have, well, there were certain, but, certain laws, but um, for the most part, um, it was normal to see girls 15, 16 years old getting married at that age or at that time. So it would have appeared it would have appeared as though something was wrong if she would have just all of a sudden showed up or started showing like she was pregnant. And although she was engaged, she wasn't married yet. So it definitely would have um, been uh, a scandal had her condition been known. So it's possible she went to see her relative in Nazareth to avoid that. Now, this would have been the safest place for her to be since the distance between Nazareth and the hill country of Judah was about 80 to 100 miles. Another reason may have been that she was just anxious to personally see the evidence of God's other miracle. Mary probably understood that many wouldn't be able to understand what she had just experienced. But perhaps if anybody, if anybody understood what she had just experienced what she had seen, what she had heard, it would have been Elizabeth because she had experienced something very similar with, with the angel Gabriel. So again, she just wanted to see the other miracle that God has done, had done and, and she was excited. Now a third reason, which is what I personally believe, was that she went there to rejoice with her relative Elizabeth and to help her out in any way she could. We have to remember again that Elizabeth was an older woman. She was pretty much up there in her age and she was already three months pregnant and Mary was still young. She was just, she had just found out she was pregnant so she still had the energy um, of a young woman to help her out. So maybe she was just there. She just went there to, to minister to her, to, to pray with her, um, just to rejoice with her. Now, if this is so, then the welcome given by Elizabeth and the kindness shown would have been doubly sweet. Now, verse 41 tells us that upon hearing Mary's greeting, two things happened that brought increasing confirmation to both of them. First of all, it says that, that while in Elizabeth's room, 
the baby, which was, we'll later find out, is uh, John the Baptist, the baby leaped inside of her. Now, this wasn't a typical baby kick, the one that you would typically feel when, that baby, when the baby's moving around there or, you know, giving an elbow or a kick. This was, the word that, that this word describes was that it was a leap. It was one of those leaps where someone would take when they're just full of joy. I don't know if you've ever done one of those leaps where you're just, yeah, excited and, you know, you're just full of joy. It was one of those extra crazy kind of leaps. I mean, it would have been known. This wasn't just a normal kick. There was a leap of joy. What this tells us then is that before John the Baptist was born, he was filled with the Spirit as the angel had promised and was rejoicing in the fact that he was in the presence of the Lord. He was in the presence of God's Son. Now, if you look at this verse carefully, what other powerful truths do you think this verse is telling us? Well, personally, I see at least two facts that I also hope that you see here. One, a baby in a womb is a living human being and not a clump of cells as some will claim today. And two, if Mary visited Elizabeth in her, third, in her first trimester of being pregnant, then it's undeniable that even, actually when she visited her, it was her third month of being present, pregnant. So it's undeniable that even in her first trimester, the baby she was carrying was fully conscious and fully aware. Now, it ought to grieve us to know that the CDC estimates that 3,000 abortions occur daily in just the United States. If John, in his first trimester, and Jesus, who would have, been, who would have just been conceived, were considered living human beings in the womb, then it makes logical sense that every baby in the womb is also a living human being and that abortion is murder. It is killing of an innocent baby. Now, I do feel strongly about this issue. Um, it ought to grieve all of us as believers in Christ. If you believe in every single word that is written here, and every, if you believe that this is the word of God, and the word of God tells us that the baby that Elizabeth was carrying was leaping with joy, was, was aware and conscious of that the fact that he was in the presence of the Son of God, then it's, again, undeniable. It's undeniable that every single baby inside of a womb is as well. Now, the second thing that happened was that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. What this means is that the Holy Spirit took control of her by guiding her speech and actions. And in verses 42 to 45, we're told that the Spirit prompted her 
to pronounce a blessing on Mary that began with the words, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. Now it's important to note that she did not say that Mary was blessed above women, but among women, meaning she was distinguished among all women. She was set apart. She wasn't above. She was blessed among women. See, she had a unique measure of God's grace and presence, but that measure never lifted her up for eternal praise and worship. So while we don't want to ascribe to Mary the praise and worship which only belongs to God, we also shouldn't minimize her place in the plan of God. What this blessing actually indicates then is that Elizabeth understood the tremendous honor that had been given to Mary. Again, not because of anything she did or who she was or who she would become, but rather the honor that came from the holy baby that she was carrying in her womb. That's what made her whole. That's what made her blessed, is that she was carrying the Messiah inside her womb. Elizabeth then goes on to also inform Mary that her child will be blessed. She said this because she believed that Mary's baby would be the one whose Elizabeth's son, who Elizabeth's son would prepare for, would prepare the way for. She confirmed this in verse 43 when she called him my Lord which meant that she recognized that this child was to be the Messiah. So, to now stand in the presence of the mother of her Lord left Elizabeth in just complete awe. And I don't know if you've ever stood in front of somebody that, or, yeah, stood in front of someone that you admired or that you looked up to, but it, even at that, that's just a, that's a good feeling. Maybe you've been in awe, but if you've ever been in that place of worship where you are in complete awe of God's love, you 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 you, you believe you're in the presence of the Lord, and you're you just want to fall on your knees because you are in awe. Well, this is how she was feeling at that particular time. So now, again, to stand in the presence of her Lord, left Elizabeth and all, leading her to ask in verse 43, how could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? How? What, why, why this honor? How could this happen to me? Maybe she felt as though she shouldn't have been, that she should have been the one visiting and ministering Mary, instead of the other way around. Well, after telling Mary what had just happened to her, she then assured Mary that her faith would be abundantly rewarded and her baby would be born as promised. What verse 45 reveals is that Mary's faith was active. Her faith was active and not passive meaning she believed the word of God and expected God to accomplish 
what he said he would do. Therefore, because of her faith and her humble submission to God's will, she experienced the power of God. So to put it simply, true, genuine faith brings blessing. Now, I'm not talking about this prosperity stuff. I'm just saying true, genuine belief in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Messiah, just um, believing that he died on the cross for your sins, believing that your sins are forgiven, believing that he set you free and that you're going to have eternal life with him is a blessing. Knowing that he cares for you and he's watching out for you, he'll never abandon you, he will always be there for you, is a blessing. And then everything else is just, I think it's just extra blessings, you know, just knowing that, you know, that waking up and having that, you know, opening your eyes is a blessing. Having that first breath of air or your, your heart beating is a blessing. Knowing that you have a roof over your head, you have food on the table is a blessing. You know, all that stuff is, all that good stuff is from the Lord and we ought to see that and we ought to recognize it we ought to thank him for that but again um, true faith brings blessing well now in this next section we're about to read we're going to see how Mary responded to this blessing that she received from Elizabeth so let's so follow along as I continue reading from verse 46 Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of his thoughts, because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months, and then she returned home. This section of chapter 1 captures the faith and the joy of Mary through a song of praise. This was actually considered a song, a hymn, known as a Magnificat. This song kind of resembles... Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and expresses her desire, her great desire to magnify the Lord. Indirectly referencing referencing, um, passages in the Old Testament, Mary recounts what God had done for three recipients of his blessing. First of all, in verses 46 through 49, Mary praises the Lord for what he had done for her. 
giving glory to God and rejoicing in the presence and actions of God, she sings that the Lord has looked down on her with loving care. Even though he saw her low economic and social state in which she lived, he placed her, he placed her on a, in a state of blessing. Now because of her son, humiliation would disappear. And from now on, all generations will know who she was and will call her blessed. Not only was God mindful of her, he was also mighty for her, working on her behalf. This happened the moment she believed God and yielded to his will. And because she did, he performed a miracle in her, in her life and used her to bring the Savior into the world. Secondly, in verses 50 to 53, Mary praises the Lord for his mercy on each generation who fear him. And then names three specific groups whom God has been merciful to. The helpless in verse 51, the humble in verse 52, and the hungry in verse 53. The common people of that day were almost helpless when it came to justice. They were often hungry, downtrodden, and discouraged. And there was no way for them to fight the system, fight the Roman, the oppressive Roman government that was ruling over them. Um, yeah, it was ruling over them. However, Mary saw herself as proof that the Lord was turning everything upside down. The humble have scattered the proud. The lowly have dethroned the mighty. And the hungry have, satisfied, have been satisfied, while the rich are sent away empty. Now, I'll be honest with you. As I look at the current state of things, the way things are going right now in this country, I don't see any indication that this generation, that there's a fear of the Lord in this generation. Sadly, I think we live in a culture and society that more closely resembles Paul's description in 2 Timothy chapter 3 of what things are in the last days. Now listen carefully and you tell me if I'm wrong or if the word of God is wrong. There Paul says that people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanders, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. That's a pretty long list. If I was to dissect every single 
word here and and I'm, I'm and explain to you how what we that it we can see it in society. You'd be I'm sure you would agree. Things aren't looking good. Things aren't looking good at all. And you talk to many of the youth of today. You ask them, do you know the Lord? Do you have any fear? Do you have, do you fear God? A lot of them will say, no, not really. Why should I? You know, God is in me. I am not going to fear myself. You know, I, I've, you know, your, your definition of what God is, or your, you know, what the Bible says of who God is isn't my definition of who God is. So do I fear that God? No, because I don't know him. And the God I have for myself, I don't fear him either. He's not going to do anything to me. And it's, again, it's sad. Because once you understand truly who God is and how powerful and how mighty that he controls the universe with his fingertip, that he controls life. That he, again, it, it ought to just, I know it brings me chills just thinking about the fact that we're even alive today is because of his mercy, because of his love. Again, this list is pretty, pretty crazy, and, and, but it's what we see. It's what we see today. In these, in these last days. Now again, I, I don't see any indication that this generation fears the Lord. But, and if I'm correct, and believe me, I, I do hope, I do hope that I'm wrong, that I wouldn't blame God if He decided to no longer show mercy to this current generation living in this country. Therefore, it's necessary that we as believers, stand fast in our faith. Be the light and salt wherever we're at. And just continually pray for a moving of the Holy Spirit, for revival in this country, because that's the only way. There's no other way I can see this generation turning to the Lord. There just has to be something radical happening that, that needs to happen. And what it's going to take is for all of us believers to fall on our knees, humble ourselves, and just pray, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for not teaching this generation your ways, for not instructing them in your ways, for ignoring you. Lord, we ask for revival. We asked of a moving of the Holy Spirit. It's happened before, and it can happen again. I truly believe that. We need a strong moving of the Spirit. Nevertheless, though, if he, choo- if he chose to withhold his mercy to this country as a whole, he will always be loving, compassionate, and merciful to those who trust in Christ. To all of us believers, he will always show his mercy and compassion and his love. Malachi 3.17 tells us 
They will be mine, says the Lord of armies. My own possession on the day I'm preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves them, who serves him. Now, thirdly, in verses 54 to 55, Mary praised the Lord for his faithfulness to Israel in keeping the promises he had made to Abraham and to his seed. In spite of Israel's destitute condition, the nation was still God's servant, and he would help the people fulfill his purposes. You see, God was on Israel's side. He would remember his mercy and keep his promises. So finally, we're told in verse 56 that after staying with Elizabeth about three months, Mary returned to her home in Nazareth. Now, by then, it was clear this would have been, what, Mary's third month of pregnancy? It would have been obvious now, maybe obvious, that she was pregnant. And no doubt, by the time she got there, the whispers would have began. Hey, what, is she pregnant? What's going on? Is she gaining weight or is she pregnant? What's, what's, what's happening? You know, um, Those whispers, the talk. But for Mary, now that she's there, now that she had ministered and she had, again, just praised the Lord, had, had this spirit-filled joy in her, it didn't matter to Mary anymore. It made no difference to Mary. God had comforted, had confirmed his word to her. She had, a baby had leaped. The spirit moved. Elizabeth was blessed. And God gave her a song of praise. Mary was now filled with the joy of the Lord. So it didn't matter to her what people said. It didn't matter to her about these rumors that were going around. It didn't matter to her whether her family was going to ostracize her, whether she, even if she would have lost her, her fiancé, or her, even though she would have lost her engagement to Joseph, it, it didn't matter to her anymore. She wasn't going to allow anybody or anything to take away that joy that she had just experienced, that she, just, that she had Mary was willing to bear the disgrace in order to become, become God's instrument of grace. See, church, when God reveals himself to you in a powerful way, when he finally shows himself, whether it's you see it in an act of mercy, a compassion, maybe a miracle, whether or whether it's just coming to the Lord in general, knowing and believing that you're saved. When he reveals to you, when he reveals himself to you in a powerful way, you too will experience or have a similar joy that nothing or no one will be able to take away from you. Because he's given it to you. He's given you that joy. This joy of the Lord will sustain you when the world is crashing in around you, or if all the people you care about 
have abandoned you, when all has been lost. You've lost your job, you've lost your home, you lost your family, you lost your friends. Even in the worst condition, that joy of the Lord will always be there. Because the Spirit, again, put it there. It's that, it's knowing that regardless of what happens, regardless of what's going on, God has a plan. And He's watching over you. He's protecting you. He loves you. And all He wants is good for you. All He wants is just for you to, to meet Him, to have, to grow closer to Him, to have a deeper relationship with Him. But again, it's letting go of those things. He's saying, Lord, there's nuclear bombs going all around me, but my eyes are going to stay focused on you because I know that I'm protected by you. Those who don't have that joy will do anything. We'll try different things to try to replicate it. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be women. It could be gambling. It could be eating. I mean... People will find different ways. We'll always find different ways to replicate that joy. But the truth is this. And maybe you might have heard the saying before. You can try to replicate it, but you'll never duplicate it. It can't be duplicated. You can't duplicate the joy of the Lord. It's unique. It's one of a kind. And when you have it, you know it. Nothing will ever give you that same kind of joy. Nothing will ever give you that joy that can only come from the Spirit of God. Because again, as I mentioned, even if you're having a bad day, the Spirit living in you will always remind you of what Christ has done for you and who you are in Him. Now, how do you obtain, how do you get this this joy that can only come from the Spirit. When you surrender your life. As I mentioned, in this, as, as we see with Mary, she, she yielded herself. She surrendered herself. She said, I'm, my life is yours, Lord. You can do with, it, what, do with it whatever you want. And that's what he wants from each and every single one of you. It's just yielding yourself to Him. And I know that's scary, and I know that could be overwhelming to surrender your life to Him. But He won't disappoint you. Everybody else, everybody else is going to bring, it's gonna, they're going to disappoint you. Your parents are going to disappoint you. Your kids are going to disappoint you. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, they're going to disappoint you. They're going to let you down. But God won't. God will never, ever disappoint you. He's been there for me. He's, I, I, I can honestly tell you that He's always been there. He's always come through every single time I've needed Him. Now it's good that I have these people around me that I can rely on. 
and I, I do care for them and I do love them. But I know that when it all comes, when it all comes down to it, you know, it's the Lord who will eternally, will always be there even when they're gone. So again, if that's you and you, you want this joy, all you've got to do is just come to the Lord. Come to the cross and surrender yourself to him. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that, you know what, that you've sinned against God and that you want to truly be forgiven of your sins, that you want to have that reconciliation, that you want to have that relationship with him. And you do that, and he's going to forgive you. He's going to lift that weight off your shoulders. He's going to forgive you of your sins. And he's just going to give you that joy. Now, I'm not saying that your life is going to be perfect, that it's going to be honky-dory and that everything's going to be great, that you're going to be, it's all going to be like flowers and, you know, nice, shiny weather. And No, there's going to be some hardships. But as I mentioned, in those hardships, there's always going to be that joy in you. He will, you'll just, you're just going to know that he's there for you. So, if, if, if you're at a place where you want God's forgiveness, I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. Um, and after, and for everybody here, after we're done praying, um, we'll get into it. I'm finishing early because we have, uh, I just had a brain lapse. Uh, communion, yes, I'm sorry. Communion, we're going to have communion this morning. Um, so, Again, if you're watching, listening, and you um, want to accept the Lord, just pray this prayer in your heart. Um, with all, again, with all your heart, really mean it. The Lord sees your heart, and He knows what's really going on there. And just pray this. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for breaking... All those laws, Lord, Lord, that you've given. Sorry for lying. Sorry for stealing. Sorry for using your name in vain. Sorry, Lord, I, I've, broken, I've broken them all. Forgive me, Lord. I confess that Jesus is Lord. I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins, and I thank you for that. I accept your forgiveness, Lord. I accept what your son has done on the cross. And I believe that my sins have been washed away. Fill me with your spirit, Lord, now, so that I may experience that joy. Give me a new life, Lord. Give me new eyes so that I may see the world as you see it, Lord. Thank you for all you've done. And thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.